Please stay standing as you're able for today's Testament lesson from the book of John, chapter 20, verse 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and another disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. Well, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their home, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been laying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not, where they have laid, do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thank be to God. Please be seated. Dot, thank you so much for reading our text. I have a little work to do on that Middle Tennessean accent, but we're grateful <laughs> always, always for reading a proper text for us today. Yeah, I, I, I was texting this morning a lot, of, a lot of you, actually, the good news, he has risen, hearing back from you. Uh, I received a text that I was not expecting from, from actually from one of you that said, praying for full sanctuaries and short sermons. The first prayer has been answered. I, I really didn't see it coming, especially from Bishop Pennell, of all people. <laughs> she was the first to discover the empty tomb. 
Her given name was Mary. It is the most common of Hebrew names for females. In fact, it's my mother's name, and it means bitter tears, which I think describes my mother's plight during my teenage years. But this Mary was better known as Magdalene. That was not her last name. It was her place of origin. Megdal, or in the Hebrew, Magdala, in the Hebrew literally means fish tower. It's a small fishing village on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's just south of Capernaum. There are several men we're leaving on Tuesday, and we will end our 40-mile trail that begins in Nazareth next week in Migdal, and then up to Capernaum. She's often referred to as the apostle to the apostles because she was the first to share the news of the empty tomb. She was one of a handful of women who followed Jesus to Jerusalem from Galilee. And by the way, she helped to fund his ministry and mission out of her pocketbook. She was among the last to leave the cross on Friday. You see this in John chapter 19. She stayed to the bitter end. In fact, John's gospel says that she actually was there when Jesus uttered his last words. It is finished. But because of the Sabbath regulations and being a Jew herself, she would have to wait until Sunday morning to make the arrangements to do grief's work. And some of you who have been through death recently know it's the day after that can be unbearable. We have a name for it in the traditional church. We call it Silent Saturday. It's the day between death and Easter Sunday. Silent Saturday. I'm thinking today of a devout man in our community who died not long ago, a devout man of faith who was facing his final hours. He was in hospice and he was hurting. He said to one of his friends, who's also one of my friends, you know, I've been asking God why he's letting me suffer so. So the friend replied, what has God said? And the devout brother said, nothing yet. But he said, I think I'm learning through my pain to better understand the suffering of Jesus for me. Saturday silence. But what I want to tell you this morning is silence doesn't mean absence. The silence of God doesn't necessarily mean absence. It's a not yet moment. Thomas Keating, Roman Catholic priest who taught us so much about centering prayer, once said, and I quote, silence is God's first language. Everything else is a poor translation. Amen to that. She came while it was still dark. It was night. And this is not just a temporal statement. It's an existential comment. If you know the Gospel of John, you know almost every detail that he speaks has double meaning. It's not just the time of the day. It's the condition of her soul. She's coming at night. She's in a funk. She's in a fog. Her eyes are open, but she can't see. Her ears are unstopped, but she can't hear. She has feelings, but now she's numb. She's disoriented by grief. I think this is an ancient case of PTSD. She was traumatized by the cross, 
And there are some things that you just can't unsee. And she couldn't get Golgotha out of her eyesight. I tell you, I for one so appreciate the honesty of the biblical writers that they don't paper over our grief. They don't sugarcoat the death of Jesus. In fact, it's Paul, one of the earliest resources of the resurrection, who says in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus died and was buried. He was gone. Our chancel choir last week, you all sang a song on a difficult Sunday. After a difficult week, we were taking communion here. I was finishing communion, I sat down, and they were singing a song based on a poem by Dana Joya, who is a Christ follower who lost his baby son to SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. And he wrote a poem called Prayer. It's graphic. And these were the words that they sang. Echo of the clock tower, footstep in the alley, sweep of the wind sifting the leaves, jeweler of the spider web, connoisseur of autumn's opulence, blade of lightning harvesting the sky, keeper of the small gate, choreographer of entrances and exits, midnight whisper traveling the wires, seducer, healer, deity or thief, I will see you soon enough in the shadow of the rainfall, in the brief violet darkening a sunset. But until then, I pray, watch over him. And they changed the lyrics from him to them. As a mountain guards its covert oar and the harsh falcon its flightless young, watch over them. There's just no glossing over it, grief. It was Woody Allen who said, look, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. That's the only time you'll ever hear Woody Allen quoted from this pulpit. <laughs> Magdalene was there when it happened. She was last to leave the cross and she was first to arrive at the tomb. And John says she came in a funk. She came in darkness. When she gets to the grave, she's shocked. She's taken aback. She's astonished. Why? Because the stone that had covered the hole, the entrance, is gone. And suddenly this woman's grief turns into fear. And she does what any of us would have done. I would have done. She ran. Now, I have to tell you, I've done countless graveside services in 40 years of ministry, but don't ask me to do a graveside service after dark. I probably won't do it. I go to Woodlawn to check on my people every now and then, but I always go in the daytime. I want to be able to see. It's gone. She hoofs it to the leadership. She runs to Peter and John. What else would you do? And her assumption is the only explanation, grave robbers, tomb raiders. In fact, you hear it in her voice. They have stolen the body and we don't know where he is. In other words, not only have they crucified him, but now they're attempting to erase all evidence that Jesus ever lived. And Peter and John hearing this news, they run 
Everybody's running. They run to the grave. They enter the, the, the cave and they see the, the grave clothes, which are now folded in place neatly. This is odd. Should get your attention. Evidently, grave robbers back then had good manners and they tied it up. They did the linens and Peter is perplexed, but John believes based on folded grave clothes. And yet verse nine in chapter 20 says their faith is not complete. Why? Because as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. The Bible for the early church in the first century was the Old Testament. The New Testament was not canonized until late fourth century AD. And so when the disciples do this, they get their Bible study together and they begin to reinterpret the Old Testament on the basis of Jesus and this empty tomb. And they turn to Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you, O God, will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful see decay. They did not yet understand until their Bible study. They reviewed Isaiah 53. You know that one, suffering servant. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. The righteous one shall make many righteous and he shall bear their sins so that, this is God speaking, I will allot him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. It's in the book. The written word points to the living word. And this is why Bible study is essential. This is why children, spiritual formation is essential for us. In Luke's account of Easter, isn't it interesting that it says the women came to faith when they remembered what Jesus had said. You cannot remember something that you don't know. That's the necessity of spiritual formation. And that's how it was with the prodigal son who wound up in a pig pen, stained inside and outside. When he remembered his father, he came back to himself. It's memory. My preaching professor, Dr. Fred Craddock, that I've mentioned many times, retired, I think 35 years ago in Fannin County. If you're a Georgian, you may know Fannin County. Uh, that's up around Blue Ridge. This is 35 years ago. And he said, when I retired, I was one of the ministers at Cherry Log right there in Fannin County. And the ministers, all of us would take our turn as chaplains at the hospital. And he said, one week during my watch, there was a little baby was born. This was a tiny little hospital and there were not many babies born there, but it was on my watch. And I went to the hospital. And when I got there, I saw this crowd of people standing in front of the glass just ooing and aahing over this baby. And Fred said, is it a boy or a girl? They said, it's a girl. What's her name? Her name is Mary. Is the father here, he asked. And they said, no. And they pointed over in the far corner 
on the wall. He was leaning up against the wall. He looked kind of upset. He's over there. And so Fred thought he was concerned and he went over to comfort him and said, she's a beautiful girl, though actually she was screaming and squalling to beat the band. And Fred thought he was concerned. He said, well, she's not sick. It's good for babies to scream and cry. Clears out the lungs and get their voices going. And the young man said, I I know she's not sick, but she's as mad as a hornet, he said. And Fred said, well, why do you think she's mad? And he said, well, wouldn't you be mad? I mean, one minute you're with God in heaven and the next minute you're in Georgia. (laughs) And Fred said, you think she was with God before she was born? And he said, oh yeah. And Fred said, do you think she'll remember? And the old boy thought for a minute And he said, well, I guess that's up to her mother and me. I guess that's up to the church. We've got to see to it that she remembers because if she ever forgets, she's a goner. (laughs) Luke 24 verse eight says, when the women remembered what he said, everything changed. Peter and John went home, and verse 11 says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Now listen, the word for stood, standing in the Greek, is steko. It doesn't mean she was hanging around. It it literally means she was standing fast. She was standing firm. She was persevering. It means she's grieving, but she's not leaving. She's not going anywhere. She's abiding. She sees two angels in the tomb, but even angels cannot break this woman's grief. And then she exits the tomb, and Jesus is behind her, but she doesn't know it. In fact, she thinks he's the custodian. He's maintenance, the gardener. And he speaks to her, same question as the angels a moment ago, woman, why are you weeping? who are you looking for? And she says, sir, if you've taken his body, would you tell me where so that I can go and get it? And then he calls her name, Mary. I think it's the greatest one word sermon in the New Testament. When she hears her name called by Jesus, she knows her eyes are open. Her ears are unstopped. She can feel her body again. I want to tell you something this morning. The Christian confession is not an abstract hypothetical truth. It's personal. We don't serve a detached, distant, aloof God. He knows his sheep by name, and you know his voice. He knows when a starling falls. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And that's personal. Somebody's in the dark this morning. Somebody's in a fog. Somebody's hanging by a thread. I don't know what it is. Somebody's not sure, you're not sure what you believe or if you believe, and you're carrying a burden, 
It's much too heavy. But if you listen closely in the silence, you will hear Jesus calling your name. Silence is not absence. It's not yet. You may be grieving, but don't be leaving. (laughs) Weeping remains for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Through an empty tomb, folded grave clothes, the remembrance of Scripture, and a mysterious custodian, grace takes off its disguise and calls our name. Mary, Mary. And I love her response. Rabboni, which means teacher, but it means more than that. It means my teacher. You hear the personal pronoun. And the next thing you know, she's running again. I mean, everybody's running. We know about the Christmas rush, but there's an Easter rush too. But this time, she's not running on empty. She's got a full tank. This time, she's not, she's not running scared. She's running free. And her encounter with Jesus becomes her commission to the disciples. Go tell my brothers. And she did. And that's why we're here. <laughs> the greatest evidence of the resurrection for me is not necessarily just an empty tomb. It's a changed life. It's a life that is no longer afraid of the dark. It's a life that lives in the light. My, my father used to say Easter means two things, a life that never ends and a love that never fails personal. Last word. Catherine Kuntz was the headmaster of the Covenant School. Some of you knew her. She was one of six that was gunned down as she tried to protect her students from the shooter. Greater love hath no one than a principal who lays down her life for her students. Her funeral was last Wednesday at Christ Perez. Her husband, Richard, gave the eulogy. I don't know how he did it. (laughs) But in his tribute to his wife, he shared these words. I want you to hear this. Catherine would be embarrassed today if our admiration of her distracted us from the other wounded households. She was a champion for others. She always was always among the first to recognize when somebody was isolated or lacking support or burdened by shame. And so honoring Catherine compels us to remember, he said, a seventh family, equally wounded in the loss of someone dear to them. We count on the Lord, he said today, in our community to support them generously, graciously, extravagantly, and to offer them the hope that sustains And we are trusting in our strong and loving God to take each of the seven that died and to heal their wounds and nurture their souls. What a kind of man is that? 
Dick Kuntz is not just hanging on. He's standing. He's standing firm and fast. He's grieving, but he's not leaving. And do you know why? Because he knows that the light has overcome the darkness. He knows that love has overpowered hate. He knows that grace has triumphed over sin and death. And I know it too. What God has done this morning in an empty tomb will enable you to stand up and stand fast and stand firm. Because we know on this day of all days that my dad was right. In Christ Jesus, life never ends and love never fails. And that's personal.